You're listening to Redeeming Grace Audio. For more resources or messages, check out redeeminggracecc.com. So Jesus tells a parable where he gives two options. And essentially boils down to this, right? You can either build your life on a rock or you can build your life on the sand. You can either establish yourself on something with substance, on something robust, on something concrete, or you can establish your life on something that falls apart. Something that when the first inclination of difficulty comes along, everything collapses in and on itself. Jesus reminds us in that parable that when it comes to who we are and the things on which we build our lives, foundations matter. And the same thing is true, not just individually, but absolutely as we think about who we are as an independent church, as a small expression of God's big kingdom. There are a lot of things that churches build their lives on, a lot of foundations on which churches establish themselves. Some churches establish themselves on legacy. I have a friend who was pastoring a First Baptist Church of a long-standing congregation, and he said the most difficult struggle that he had as a pastor was the year that the church was founded, back in the 1800s. Because every time they tried to do something as a church, people were constantly coming back and saying, nope, that's not how we've always done it. That's not our legacy. That's not our foundation. Some churches are built on church models, looking around and saying, oh, well, this foundation worked for this church and this foundation worked for this church. And so we should have that same foundation and try to build themselves on things that they see around them. Churches can be founded on a pastor, on his personality or giftedness. Churches can be founded on having a music program that really is moving and awesome and well done. Churches can be founded on their programs. Look, all the things we're able to do, all the ministries we have, all of the activities that we have for kids and families and everyone in between. Churches can be founded on secular models. Saying, look at these businesses. Look at these organizations, look at these artists, look at these bands, look at the incredible things they've been able to accomplish. Maybe we should borrow some of the ideas here. Maybe we should look at those same kind of foundations on which these groups have built themselves on, and maybe it will be helpful for the church. Churches can be founded on political affiliations. We're a conservative church, or we're a progressive church, or we're an apolitical church, or whatever the case may be. All of these things are foundations on which churches can look around and say, this is who we are, and this is on what we're built. And as a church, we have to ask ourselves both, what are we as Redeeming Grace Community Church founded on, and what should we be built upon? That parable is not the only time Jesus used that illustration of being built on a rock. As he asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? We know Peter gives this confession 
that you are the Christ, you are the Son of God. And Jesus praises him, saying, yes, that is absolutely it. But you didn't come to this on your own. You haven't been taught this by anybody else because the Spirit has revealed this deep and wonderful truth to you. And he looks at Peter and he says, on this rock, I will build my church. Not on Peter and his personality, not on his wisdom because he didn't earn it, not on the people who taught Peter this because no one taught Peter this. Jesus says, on this confession, coming out of the mouth of this weak vessel, on this confession, I am going to build my church. When we look at Acts chapter 2, which is such a beautiful passage, we see these Christians meeting together for the first time and sorting out what it means to be the church. Acts 2 has been one of those passages that we come back to time and time again throughout the history of our church because it sets such a beautiful standard. In the early church, these early Christians, they didn't have church conferences. They didn't have books. They didn't have seminaries. They didn't have podcasts. They didn't have a whole lot of examples to look around and say, this is what it should look like. But what they did have is they had the scriptures and they had the apostles. And it wasn't the apostles that they were following. Because when we look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says they were devoted not to the apostles, not to these men, not to what they were doing, but they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And what were the apostles teaching? They were taking the scriptures and they were pointing them to Jesus. They were proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ as revealed in the person of Jesus and as revealed in the law and the prophets. And so as a church, our foundation and who we are is scripture and scripture alone. The Psalms teach us that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And the same thing is true about all the things that we can try to establish ourselves on as a church, because the reality is, is that church trends come and go. Things come in fashion and things come out of fashion in the church world, just like they do in any other world. Programs succeed and programs fail. Pastors thrive and pastors fail. Pastors live and pastors die. Worship trends come in and out. Business models go really well sometimes and sometimes they completely fall apart. All of these things rise and fall. This grass withers and the grass fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And if we want to be a church that establishes something that stands forever, not in our existence, but in the eternal impact that we have through the work of our church, we have to be built and founded and always resting on the truth of Scripture. From the very beginning, this has been one of the things that we've strived to be as a church, to be built in such a way that everything that we do as a church body is inspired by and rests firmly on the truth of Scripture and is moved by the power of the gospel. In Redeeming Grace, this should not be a place of preferences or platforms or performances. We're not building a business. We're not constructing some sort of sectarian utopia based on the things that we like and the community that we want to be a part of. We are trying to do our best to be the reflection of God in the world. And we can only do that by following scripture. 
And it's probably a good thing we're not based on preferences because if it was on my preferences, our church would look just a whole lot like some sort of grimy punk club in the 1960s, like CGBGs before, maybe before the big punk movement there in New York, but right after it was the country gospel bluegrass thing, some sort of weird amalgamation of both, which is bluegrass rats running all over the place because that's just kind of who I am and that's my preference, but it's probably not yours, so you're welcome. Well, at least you can thank Jesus for that. But that's not who we're meant to be. Our purpose as a church and as a part of the church is to be a small picture of God's universal kingdom on earth. It's our purpose to be a window pointing into eternity, to say this is just a small sample of what life with Jesus looks like and what eternity with Christ will be like. And the only way that we can be that as a church, the only way that we can fulfill that role and purpose is by knowing what that looks like. We can't mirror eternity or preview eternity without knowing eternity. We can't be a representation of Jesus without knowing Jesus. We can't establish who our God is and make his name great in this world if we don't know him. And so the only way that we can do what we're supposed to do is to know what we're supposed to know. And the only way we can know what we're supposed to know is if we are dedicated to be founded upon the truth of Scripture. There are plenty of places that you can go and hear a good concert. There are plenty of places that you can go and hear a good and motivational speech. There are plenty of places that you can go and play sports and participate in these things. There are plenty of places where you can go and have your kids have a lot of fun and a deep and meaningful experience. And by all means, you should. We should. We should go and do those things together. Our community is filled, and all the communities that we represent are filled with places that we can go and do all kinds of wonderful and enriching things. But when we come together as the church, when we come together as redeeming grace, it is for no other purpose than to glorify God, to spread the gospel, and to love and encourage one another up in the faith. And so if we can't give a faithful explanation from Scripture for what we do in worship, for what we do in community as a church, for what we do in ministry as a church, then it doesn't need to be done. And one of the frustrating things about that, because we do come in with all of these ideas and preferences and foundations and things that we want to be a part of, one of the frustrating things about trying to be fully founded on and motivated by scripture is that this means that we may often be a church of more no's than yeses. And that can be frustrating. It can be frustrating for me. I'm sure it can be frustrating for you. But that's okay. It's okay to look at who we are and say, nope, this doesn't really fit. Or nope, this isn't who we are. Or that someone can come to the table and say, I want to do this. And say, yep, cool, go and do that. And we'll support you and surround you as your church family. But maybe that's not who we are as a church because it doesn't fit with what Scripture has called us to be as a body. And so at Redeeming Grace, as Redeeming Grace, our foundation is Scripture. And if that's what we're founded upon, then that's going to motivate who we are and what we do. And so the next core conviction we're going to talk about is that as a church, our ambition is kingdom growth and multiplication through simplicity. 
And it's ironic because that's also the longest conviction <laughs> as it talks about simplicity. But there's a purpose for that. And I'll say, as Michael and Shane and I got together to try to formulate this language around everything that we've been talking about as a church and so many of the things that we've heard from everyone as far as who we are, as we've wanted to kind of lay these things out, this is definitely the one that we just labored on the most when it comes to the wording and the phrasing of this. And this word in particular was one that we kind of went back and forth on about what, how do we want to describe this? And we chose the word ambition. And an ambition is a deep, see the desire. It's a passion. It's a motivation. And it's also a destination. And ambition is that, that energy that drives you towards something, but an ambition is also the object of your desire. And so this is a picture of where we're going and what we should constantly be longing for and what our passion should be. And all of us have ambitions. A lot of our ambitions are good. A lot of our ambitions move us in the right direction. A lot of our ambitions are healthy, but sometimes our ambitions are not so good. Sometimes our ambitions are not so healthy. And as a church, we're going to have ambitions too. And sometimes churches can have good ambitions. Sometimes churches can have healthy ambitions. But as we see so many times in our world, sometimes churches can have bad ambitions. And sometimes churches can have unhealthy ambitions. And establishing what our ambition is as a church is crucial because that's going to change so much about who we are and what we do. And as a church, we have to decide if we are going to have ambitions and those ambitions are going to drive our foundation because they will. If we come in with a variety of ambitions that are not coming directly from Scripture, those things are going to drive what we're built upon. Or we're going to have to decide if our foundation will form our ambition. And that's the one we should do. Just in case there was any miscommunication there, that's the one, right? That we have this foundation that is Scripture, and Scripture is motivating and moving our ambitions. And if our foundation is scripture, then we're going to see scripture set that heart in our church. In the Great Commission, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, these big missional passages that Jesus lays out, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In Acts chapter 2, we see Peter preach. And he preaches the first gospel sermon about who Jesus is. And the result of that is amazing because the people heard the words that Peter was preaching. And the Bible tells us that about 3,000 people put their faith and their hope and their trust in Jesus on that day. In Acts chapter two, as the people are dedicated to the apostles' teaching and to the prayers and the breaking of bread together, as they're caring for one another and loving one another, the end result of that passage is that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, these stories aren't an exception in the life of the church. They're the standard. That the heart and the ambition and the desire of God's church should be that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. 
that we would see the kingdom of God expand and multiply, that we would see people putting their faith and their hope in Jesus and that new churches would be started and God's kingdom would continue to grow throughout the world. In Romans, in chapter 15, verses 14 through 21, Paul says this about his own ambition and motivation. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of a reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. And I love this. He continues. I didn't have this in my original notes, but the following verse here, he says, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, then he comes. And so even here, Paul is saying that his ambition is to do nothing more than to preach the gospel and to preach the gospel where the word has not yet been uttered as he goes out to the Gentiles. And that ambition was so strong that it guided Paul's life. His foundation was the gospel. His ambition was to preach the gospel. And that meant even though he was longing at the time to go back to the church at Rome, he couldn't because he knew he had work to do and that ambition was moving him in one direction. If our foundation is scripture and the ambition of the church in scripture and the apostles in scripture is kingdom growth and multiplication, then our ambition as a church should be kingdom growth and multiplication. We should see kingdom growth internally. We should see kingdom growth in our love for the gospel, that we should be a church. And we're going to talk about the role of, of all of us together in a couple weeks about how we come together for the purpose of discipleship and ministry. But we should be raising one another up and helping one another grow in our love for Jesus and our love for the gospel and our equipping for ministry. We should be sharpening one another as iron sharpens iron. We should be raising our children up in the gospel so generation after generation of people that come through this church will be growing in their knowledge of who God is, what he has done for us, and being encouraged and strengthened for ministry. We should be growing in new followers of Jesus. We should be praying for and longing that God would add to our number day by day those who are being saved. We should see new believers in Jesus baptized into the church, baptized into the faith, and we should see those people growing up in the beauty of the gospel. 
And I also believe this means, and I, I want to be careful here because this is something that would be an ambition of mine no matter what, and so you can check me if we don't feel like that's just pouring out of scripture, but I think one of our desires should be that we are multiplying in new churches and in sending people out into this community and beyond for the purpose of establishing new churches for raising up people in the gospel and to see that kingdom continue to expand and to multiply. And there is a cost of losing sight of this. Because when it comes to multiplication, it's not a suggestion, it's not a hope, but it's a commandment. Because we're told that as followers of Jesus, we have been made stewards of God's kingdom. That Jesus has left us in charge of his ministry. Redeeming grace is not responsible for our ministry. It's not my ministry enacted through the church. It's not the ministry of elders or teachers or pastors moving through the church. We are not all here to establish our own ministry and purpose. Jesus has left the church and by way of that left our church in charge of and in responsibility over his ministry. And he tells another story of a master who had left his kingdom, his wealth in the hands of his servants. And to one, he gave a lot. To one, he gave a little less. And to one, he gave even less. And to the one that had received much, he went out and he multiplied it. To one that had received a little less, he went out and he multiplied it. And so we were thinking and praying through these things. Shane was talking about this passage and it just tied my stomach in knots because to the last who had been given very little, he went and hid it away and there was no multiplication. And that story does not end well for him. And so there is a heavy responsibility if we are going to claim to be managers and stewards of the ministry of Jesus that our ambition would be to see growth and multiplication in the life of our church. And if not, we need to ask some serious and hard questions about who we are and what we're doing, and if we are being founded on and motivated and moved by Scripture. But here's the thing. This seems like a pretty big ask for a pretty small church. We can look at this kind of thing and say, yeah, you know, it's good. And we want to see some multiplication. We want to see some growth, but we're very small. And so maybe we leave that up to the big guys with the big resources and all the things that they have. And we just do the best we can to kind of manage the little bit that God has given us. But remember in Acts chapter two, those Christians, they lacked a lot more than they had. They didn't have the legacy of resources that we have. They didn't have the availability of resources that we have as followers of Jesus living in America in the 21st century. They didn't have ample money in the bank. They didn't have large buildings. Most of the time, these early Christians had to hide to be able to even meet with, for fear of persecution. 
Even in Acts chapter two, when they first started meeting, if there was a problem in the church, if somebody was in need, if ministry needed to be done, they didn't just go to the church bank account. People inside of the church sold what they had and gave it to those who were in need. They weren't concerned with how big or small they were. They weren't concerned with what resources they had. They were only concerned with, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It changes everything. And by any means, we are going to see it move through the world. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. So we can talk a lot about what we don't have. But see what they did have, they had the apostles teaching. They had the gospel. They had the Holy Spirit of God moving in and through their church. And what they had, we also have. And it's all we need. It doesn't matter if we have our own building or not. It doesn't matter if we have a ton of people or no people. It doesn't matter if we have a lot of money or no money. That's not the point. What is the point is we are called to be a missional family on move for the sake of the gospel and not counting our losses or not weighing out the risks, but moving forward with a holy ambition to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We've got everything we need. There are churches who can do a lot of great things with a lot of resources and a lot of complexity. And it's cool. It's awesome. I am in awe of some of these churches that can operate how complex and complicated things are and do amazing work for the gospel. But I would say that isn't really us. And that's okay. That's the beauty of the big picture of the church, that there's room for all different types and we can all work together in a variety of ways to accomplish incredible things. See, our practice throughout the history of our church has been to be as simple and scaled back as possible while still longing to see God add to our number day by day those who are being saved. You can see a lot of ways just in what we do on how our church is operating in a simple methodology and practice. On Sundays, we try to be very focused and deep. There's not a lot of things going on on a Sunday morning, and that's been by design from the very beginning. We want to be able to focus kind of on the main thing, and that means we might not have all the things going on on our campus, wherever it may be, but we want to make sure that we can go as deeply as possible together and maximize the use of our time as best we can. When it comes to leadership, and I've told you we're still working on now kind of identifying what that looks like and really fleshing out how Redeeming Grace practices biblical leadership, eldership, deacons, and all of those things, and we'll be talking about that over the next few months. But I know one thing is for sure, we want our leadership structure to be biblical and not corporate. We want it to be as refined as possible and make as much room as we can for our church to do the work of ministry, not just a select few, and I'll talk about that in a minute. When it comes to community, we long to be relational and not experiential. Not a lot of programs or events, but times just to be together and focus on building relationships with one another. When it comes to ministry, we want to be hyper-local and communal. 
We don't have the resources, the space to be able to do a lot of things in-house. So that means when we all get sent out into our communities, when we all get sent out into our families, then we are looking for opportunities, not just to do independent ministry, but to see people in our lives that are hurting and then invite our church family to come along and love and support and care for them as well, to go out as ambassadors of the gospel and come back together for that strengthening and equipment and bringing one another along as we go. And this idea of simplicity in the life of our church, I believe has some purpose in helping us get to where we want to go and to constantly be who we feel like God has called us to be. On one hand, simplicity brings clarity because it is incredibly easy to get distracted. And I feel like I am always on the verge of being distracted. And so the more things that are going on, it can be easy to constantly be looking in so many different directions, but it can also be very easy to become spread very thin. For a small church or even for a large church, but especially for a church our size, the more things we have going on, the easier it is to be looking to our right and to our left and just to be spread very, very thin. But we believe that thinking simply about how we practice faith together as a church allows us to focus on our foundation. And so when it comes to what we do and where we go and the things that we participate in as a church, we can just go through a really simple, I guess that's the word I probably should use there, a really simple few questions. One, is it biblical? Are we able to go back to scripture and find biblical evidence and reasoning for doing that? Now, that doesn't mean that every single thing we do as a church is going to have a scripture reference to it. Oh, we do this because Romans 1.4 says, Redeeming Grace Community Church should do X, Y, and Z. But when we look at the full navigation, the full narrative of scripture, is something that we're doing in the life of our church, is there biblical merit and reasoning for it? And if there is, then okay. If there's not, then we're not going to do it. But then we move on to, is it wise? Because just because something has biblical merit doesn't mean that it's necessarily wise for us. Is this gonna cost a whole lot of money for us to do? Because we don't have a whole lot of money. And so maybe that goes ahead and takes us out. Are we gonna have to put ourselves in a situation where we might be financially unstable because of this or irresponsible because of this? Is this something that we can't do well because we don't necessarily have enough people and we're gonna risk burnout doing something like this among our congregation? Is it biblical and is it wise? But then if we can check both of those off, then we can ask the question, okay, well, is it us? And by is it us, does it match and meet the personality of our church and the things that are a part of our normal and natural rhythms? But also, is it us collectively? Because there may be something that I'm super passionate about personally. I really think it's awesome and we should be involved with it, but that's not really the vision of the entire church. And it would be something that I would have to drag everybody along with. Then it'd be the responsibility of the church to say, that's awesome. And we love that you're passionate about that, Chris. Go and do it and we will support you and we will love you and we will be right there for you. Or is it us in the sense of, are we able to do this well? Are we able to have the strengths to be able to go about doing this? Or maybe is there another church that can do it better? And then maybe we can partner if they need some help and assistance, but maybe it's just not who we are. And even if we get through all three of those things, then we can ask ourselves, okay, is it necessary? Maybe it's biblical, maybe it's wise, maybe we can do it. Maybe it does kind of fit in who we are, but if there's a church down the road doing it better, do we need it? 
Is it necessary? Is it going to add something to what we are and who we are? And so this idea of keeping things simple helps us be very clear in who we are, where we're going, and not getting distracted so that we can do what God has called us to do as a church as well as we possibly could. We also believe that simplicity creates accessibility. We've talked as we're looking at 1 Peter about the priesthood of believers, that we all are called to be members of that royal priesthood. And in two weeks, we're going to look at one of our conviction statements that says that our members are disciples and ministers, that we all, each and every one of us, are called to ministry, to do the work of the kingdom of God. And if our systems and if our practices and if our ministries are so complex or if they have so many barriers to entry or if they're so time consuming, then we risk losing the opportunity for most people to serve. That can be one of the dangerous things about professionally led churches. Because there's just a difference, right? I am I'm a paid guy with this church, which means there's a part of my week that is essentially bought out so that I can do the work of some of the ministry things and some of the administrative things that need to be done as a church that everybody doesn't necessarily have the ability to do. But one of the bad rhythms that we can get into sometimes is we think that we just have to, as a church, hire in all sorts of professionals so that all of those things can get done because we've created systems and structures and practices that require so much time, so much training, so much energy, and so much investment that most people just can't do that. And if you work a full-time job, or you have to spend all of your day just managing your house and making sure that the kids don't tear the whole thing down, you might not have time to be able to do that. And so we can either set up a system to where our church is just professionally driven and the laity, the congregation, that we all just kind of attend and fall in line, or we can look to the more biblical model of every single person taking on the role and responsibility of ministry. Because here's the other side, and I love being bivocational because the church only buys a little bit of my time. And so there's all kinds of other things that everybody can come and to be a part of and say, you know what, I can grab an hour here. I can grab a little bit of something here. I can be a part of this. This fits in with my giftedness and my skills, and, and it's all right here and available. And so we want to make sure that our practice as a church is so simple, and by that I just mean not complex, that there is accessibility for every person in our church to have some ownership of some part of ministry. And like I said, we're going to talk a lot more in depth about that in a couple weeks. But I also believe that simplicity does lead to multiplication and growth for us. There are a lot of ways to multiply. There are a lot of ways to grow. Most of those systems and standards that exist in our culture right now, in our church culture, are just honestly beyond our grasp. I'm super thankful for organizations like the Southern Baptist Convention, groups like Acts 29 or the Harbor Network that send out church plants. And there's a long protocol of things that you have to accomplish and be ready for before you can send out missionaries or before you can start new churches or whatever those things may be. Because it requires, at least in the way that we set up churches, generally you need money 
You need space. You need technology. You need professionals. And you need to be of a size large enough to where if you lose 40 or 50 people to go plant a church, it's not going to just decimate the congregation. But if we keep things simple, not just as a small church, but even as God chooses to grow our church numerically, no matter what size God may allow redeeming grace to be, if we keep things simple, then discipleship is simple and relational. And we're able to sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron and help each other grow in the gospel. If discipleship is simple, then starting new small groups is fairly simple because when one just grows, then it can easily be moved on. You have people there ready to take on that mantle. And when it comes to things like big things, like sending out missionaries and even planting churches, we're able to do these things without being ready. Because when it's time for us to plant a church, whenever that may be, we know you can do this without a building, without a lot of money, without a lot of resources, without a lot of people, and with very few professionals. There is scalability and reproducibility in the way that we do things as a church. To the point where if we looked and we said, you know what? It's kind of time to plant a church or to start a new church. Even right now, we could do it. I, what was the question? Is it wise? I'm not sure it's wise right now, but we could. And that's kind of awesome. Like what a freeing thing to think about that when God leads us and calls us to multiply and to send people out for the purpose of ministry that we absolutely can. And it should be our hope and our desire that we are a small and simple church, but even as we grow, we can be a larger and still simple church making a big impact through intentional incarnational kingdom growth that can only be attributed to God. And I truly believe that if our foundation is scripture and if our ambition is truly kingdom growth and multiplication, and if we keep things as simple as we possibly can, focusing on the things that matter, of seeing new people come to faith in Jesus, of seeing people discipled within our church, raising one another up in the gospel, raising our children up in the gospel, and sending ourselves out as ministers and missionaries into the world day by day, that we will absolutely see God add to our number those who are being saved. And we will see God do a work in the life of our church that we cannot fathom and that we're probably not going to be ready for, but it's okay because it's going to be his work through his church as we are caretakers of his mission. So as Redeeming Grace Community Church, our foundation is scripture and our ambition is kingdom growth and multiplication through simplicity. Let's pray over those things now. Almighty God, we thank you that you take the weak things in the world to shame the strong and the foolish things to shame the wise. Honestly, these are kind of foolish convictions to hold. At least from the way that the world teaches us we should operate. 
being founded on a book written 2,000 years ago, having an ambition to see growth all around us, even if it's not here within us. To seek simplicity for the sake of clarity and focus. God, none of these things make sense. They're not good business practices. They're not good community practices. They don't even feel like good church practices, but they're the church practices that you have established. So God, let our hearts never wander from your word. God, we want no cornerstone but Christ alone. We want no other ambition than your ambition. We want to see growth and multiplication not for the sake of being a larger church or having more resources, but to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You know how easily distracted we are individually, how easily distracted we can be as a church. Help us to be focused. Help us to never take our eyes off of you. God, we pray that as we as we seek after your kingdom and its righteousness, as we seek after being a church in your image, God, we pray that you would add to our number day by day people who are being saved. And if there is any legacy that Redeeming Grace Community Church leaves behind, it would just be the name of Jesus echoing off the lips of men, women, and children from this day until the day when you call us home. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.